Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft, and I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and we have with us today Tanya Arnold from BiblioGuides and three of our library ladies. Diane, it is a joy to have these ladies here today to talk about something that we are calling the Forgotten Books series. This is a look at books that we think are of a particular, notable, worthy value, but that these books have gotten forgotten by most people. You're not likely to find them on a book list, and they're not typically recommended in the groups that you might be in. And you may not have any exposure to these if you don't hear about them from a well-trusted librarian, like the library ladies that are gathered here today. And so we welcome Kathy Seeger, Jeanette Toulis, and Sherry Early. So these ladies have brought forward two books today. One we're going to discuss on the podcast and one we're going to save. And you'll explain more about that at the end of the podcast. So we want to just thank them so much for coming here. And we especially want to thank Tanya Arnold of BiblioGuides for our continued friendship and partnership in all the things, especially the library ladies' things. So, Tanya, thank you so much for coming today and and having a chair at the table with us, helping us to do this and contributing one of your books as well. Thank you so much for having me. The BiblioGuides team is pretty excited to partner with you guys on this topic. It's something we're really passionate about. One of the things we do at BiblioGuides is catalog all of these books from the late 19th to early to mid 20th century in an effort to preserve this information and to bring it forward and to help moms find these beautiful stories and hopefully help publishers get them reprinted, some of them. And so it's one of our favorite topics. And we're here with some of our favorite people. (laughs) (laughs) I love these library ladies and I love what they have to offer and that they're finding ways to share in their communities these gems as well. So I feel like this Mm -hmm. is just a really beautiful collaboration to bring this information to more moms that are looking for beautiful books to bring to their children. And Tanya, the ladies at BiblioGuides also have some forgotten book recommendations. Is that right? Yeah, we do. We always do. You (laughs) always do. Of course you do. That's what makes you the (laughs) BiblioGuides. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is our database has thousands and thousands of books, and we think they're all valuable and all worthy. I'm still not going to be able to read every book in my database. No. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to read every book in my library. (laughs) Um, But I want my kids to have access to that information. And so this is a beautiful opportunity to distill that down and come and find one book and read one book from an author that's beloved and highlight that book because it's almost like a needle in a haystack. Even if your haystack Mm -hmm. is not millions and millions of books, even if it's thousands, that's still a lot. So to just kind of distill that down periodically and just highlight just one thing at a time, I always just think, you know, just do the next right thing. Just read the next great book. We don't have to think about all the books that are the possibilities. So sometimes when you're an overwhelmed mom and you just don't know where to go next, it's nice to just have someone say, you know, here's 10 options or five options. And I think that's what we can provide here today. And to that end, one of the things we did is we stretched these library ladies. We have an entire series we're building here and the ladies are going to bring their first choice or 
I should say a choice, in each of the categories that we will be recording monthly, but we limited them. We made them only pick one, which was very difficult, like choosing children, and we begged them to make it be a book that was affordable so that mamas could go and maybe acquire this for themselves. But as Diane will tell us, there's more to the story. Make sure you stay tuned to the end of the episode because Diane has some comments about what else they are bringing to the table today. Today's first episode of the Forgotten Book series is a forgotten book by a forgotten author. So this is probably an author you might not have ever heard of, unless maybe you happen to have a wise grandma who put it in your path when you were a child, um, or an uncle who just knew that you needed this book. This is probably one you've never heard of. So first, let's begin with Kathy Seeger from Living Education Library in the Madison, Wisconsin area. Yay! Go Wisconsin! (laughs) Kathy and I are both Wisconsinites. Kathy, what is your forgotten book? Mine is So Young a Queen, Jadwiga of Poland by Lois Mills. This was originally published in 1961, and I have had the original for quite a long time and read it long ago, but I was very happy when Bethlehem Books reprinted it in Mm -hmm. uh, 2018. So I had read this book to my children long ago, and we're doing Forgotten Books by Forgotten Authors, and Lois Mills is really a forgotten author because she didn't write many books. So she, (laughs) I think I only found two, maybe three, that she Mm -hmm. wrote. One of the advantages of reprints is that the new publisher can add additional information that wasn't in the original book, and so I love seeing that in books. And Bethlehem Books did the same for this book. So I would like to read a little bit of about the author. Miss Mills had learned to admire the works of Polish composers when after college graduation, she had studied music composition in piano, touring as a concert accompanist in the United States and Europe. This appreciation led to a deepening interest in the culture and history of Poland, which in turn prompted her to write the story set forth here about the young queen of the 14th century. Many fruitful exchanges with scholars and linguists across the language barriers opened up as Miss Mills pursued the intensive research needed to make this book as true and authentic as possible. I love that she wasn't a writer per se by her career, but she wrote this book because of her great passion and that she had learned to love the Polish people and their culture and developed a specific interest in this historical figure. The reprint includes a map. It includes pronunciation keys, like how to say Jadwiga, the way that it would be in Polish. And in the back, it has an additional historical note article. And it also has a timeline that matches up Jadwiga's place in time um, with other important historical figures in Poland. So I love that those little notes are added. And the story of the book is that Jadwiga is a actual woman who, when she was very young, when she was three, she was the princess of Hungary in the 1300s. And when she was about five or six years old, she was betrothed to Prince William of Austria. William was brought over to 
Hungary and lived with her for several years. And then as betrothed children, they traveled back and forth between the two kingdoms until when she was about 10 years old. A series of political events unraveled that made her sacrifice her betrothal to William, who she was very close to, and marry a a man who was Prince of Lithuania, who she had always considered as an evil heathen since she was young, and had to make that sacrifice in order, um, because she had committed her love to the people of Poland, who she was now their queen. So this book is a beautiful example of a young person sacrificing. And it has a lot of interesting just life lessons and really teaches kids that really their their choices, even as children, are really important. I'm just going to read one passage from the book and then I'll end um, so you can see how the story ends if you choose to read this book. She and William are visiting, uh, traveling around the countryside. And it says, Flemish weavers brought from the north were working in Vienna to weave a tapestry for the queen's apartment. Often William went with Jadwiga to see them at their looms to watch the delicate design appear. They weave only a few inches between our visits. I shall be gone from the palace before it is finished, Jadwiga thought. She could not hide her disappointment. How much longer must you work? She asked the master weaver. God knows, he replied, if it will be months or years. A man can only follow the pattern he is given. Thoughtfully, the sensitive young princess turned away. In each of these days, she had learned a lesson in her heart for which her mind could not yet find words. Each beautiful thing has a price, a price which even a king cannot pay with coin of his realm in a velvet bag. It must be paid by a portion of some man's brief time on earth. Hmm. Beautiful. And that's part of the story of Jadwiga. Beautiful. And I love that it's available through Bethlehem Books. It's very affordable. And it is, like you said, a very nice printing. I have it. I've not read it, but my kids have. And I was supposed to do a book club on it because <laughs> all the local kids love it. So it is a forgotten book for sure. But thanks to Bethlehem Books, I don't think it'll be forgotten forever. So thank you, Kathy. That's beautiful. So next we have Jeanette Tulis from Green Door Children's Heritage Library in the Chattanooga area. So Jeanette, thank you for coming today. What is your forgotten book? Okay, this was really hard to pick, like you said. (laughs) I actually went through my entire library just to find authors that I knew were not mentioned on any book lists that I knew about. And um, I came up with a huge stack. (laughs) So I went through them. And just by process of elimination, choose a story that children could really relate to, that had kind of real life children in it, Mm. but also had just a great story. I really love stories that inspire children to be brave in difficult circumstances. So this is one of those. So the story I chose was The Cricket Winter. The author is Felice Holman. And Felice Holman was born in 1914, and I could not find any record of her death. So it's very possible that she's still among us. That would be over 100 years old, but I literally could find no record of her death. Mm -hmm. She grew up in New York City. She married a man who actually wrote gags for one of the late night shows, (laughs) um, which I thought was interesting. I thought, boy, the, the humor around that that dining room table was probably pretty interesting. <laughs> they had one daughter whose name was Nadine Elizabeth, too. She wrote a series of three books 
featuring a little girl whose name was Elizabeth. And those are also absolutely wonderful. The books that I'm talking about today are mostly very short chapter books. So less, this one had less than a hundred pages. A couple of them have Mm -hmm. a couple of, have maybe a slightly over a hundred pages, but very easy to give this to your child and say, you can read this and Mm -hmm. extremely engaging wonderfully illustrated. She really found some great illustrators. And for me, the art in a book, it's not as important as the narrative, but it's close. It mm-hmm. needs to be good art. My daughter's yeah. an artist and I really do appreciate art that's well done. Yeah. So I found out this book was actually published first in 1967 and then it was republished in the year 2000 by Erdman's. They commissioned a new illustrator for the book and she's a recent graduate of the Savannah College of Arts and Design, SCAD, and she outdid herself in these illustrations. They are absolutely oh. beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. The story of a nine-year-old boy, and I love stories about boys. I think sometimes those are harder to find than stories about girls. Mm -hmm. We agree. (laughs) This is a nine-year-old boy, and his name is Sims. He's an only child, very loving parents, but they just don't really understand all his interests. And he has so many (laughs) interests. And they're kind of like, please, let's not talk about electromagnetism at the table tonight, dear. (laughs) So... um, but he, I can relate. <laughs> that is his passion. He just loves science and loves to know how things work. So he one day builds a little Morse code machine, starts tapping at it, and um, teaches himself Morse code. And he doesn't know this, but a cricket is listening. Oh. And and this cricket has just lost the love of his life because she they had an argument over how they were going to rear their children. The lady cricket stomped off, went up to the attic, and he lived in the cellar. Then there was a huge storm, and it sealed up the chink between them so they couldn't make up. (laughs) Oh, no. The cricket overhears this boy teaching himself the Morse code, and he learns it too. So when the boy starts tapping, he hears a tapping and a response, and it's the cricket. And the book is very, very good about explaining how crickets make sound, you know, by drawing their legs across their wing and their wing, the edge of their wing. And, you know, it's very scientific about everything. And she does that with all her books, I noticed. They're just very scientifically, very accurate, and she really doesn't Mm. talk down to children at all. She really explains Mm. things. And I love that. Story goes around where now the cricket tells the boy that there's a lot of trouble in the um, cellar where all these little creatures of the house live, this rat who's been stealing from the family and the father's been setting all these this traps for the rat. And the rat's just this horrible creature. And he's terrorizing this mouse family. And there's a spider in the mix. And mm. there's a mole who wakes up from his little winter nap every now and then to say something. They have to band <laughs> together to save themselves because they're starving because the rat is eating everybody's food. They have to be brave and they have to band together. And it's just a lovely, lovely story. And she wrote really interesting stories, super interesting characters, really made it humorous. The other story I was trying to decide between was Professor Diggins' Dragons, which might be easier to find but because it was a, a weekly reader book. But she has eccentric characters, but they're very believable. Mm-hmm. Um, you really enter into the story very quickly. And it's just... Like I said, the illustrations really made this cricket book. Highly recommend it. Readers who are kind of emerging readers who are past the frog and toad stage, maybe not to, you know, like a dense book stage yet. We call them on our website, the transition books, like a tree for Peter or a twig where they're, you know, longer, 75 to 100 pages, but they're not tiny little books like frog and toad, but they're also not these big books that they've got to chew 
Right. And what I found out is I teach a little kindergarten and I found out that it's just the right length for a kindergartner to read aloud a chapter book to them. And that's what I found. Moms who come and check out a lot of picture books from my library say, do you have anything a little longer that we can just, you know, read in parts? And yes. I said, well, yes, I have a whole closet full of those books, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. It reminds me a little bit of Evelyn Sibley Lapman, I'm thinking of um, Sitting mm-hmm. Under the Back Steps, mm-hmm. where it's a yes. great work of fiction, but it's got a compelling, interesting story, but the science in it is really good. And I love books that do that. They do double duty. <laughs> so I'm going to read you the New York Times review because I really love this. I'm not a huge fan of the New York Times, but this is a good review. Here's what they say. In words as fragile as silk thread, Holman weaves her story with comments on the nature of boys, crickets, and life in general, creating a pattern both whimsical and grave. Moved by one passage, aroused by the next, the reader can explore the cricket winter as though it were a tapestry. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much, Jeanette. I I need that one for my boys (laughs) and my girl, but definitely for my boys. Lots of inexpensive copies. Lots of inexpensive copies. (laughs) Affordable for the mamas. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So we also have with us today Sherry Early from Marriott Homeschool Library in Southeast Houston, Texas. Sherry, what is your forgotten book? Well... My forgotten book is called The Little Gray Men. It's by, the author's pseudonym is B.B. His real name was Dennis Watkins Pitchford. And you can tell from that that he's probably British. And he, yes, he definitely was. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He wrote in the mid-20th century, I guess. This book was published in 1942. So in Britain. So it was published during the war. It's about the last four living gnomes in England. And it's very British. Lots of nature, lots of descriptions of the landscape and of the animals and of the brook that the gnomes live next to and all of that. And I thought, you know, maybe uh, a book like this was kind of a respite from the war yeah, and a reminder of all that was good and earthy and Mm -hmm. beautiful about dear old England and the place that they were defending at the time. Right. So I think it would have been very, almost a patriotic read (laughs) for some, for some Britishers at the time. (laughs) But anyway, it's a book about gnomes, but he tells in the introduction that it's really a book about the natural world. The gnomes are very much a part of um, the animal kingdom that is that lives along this brook called mm-hmm. Folly Brook. Mm-hmm. They kind of almost hibernate during the winter. So they, the book begins as they wake up in the spring and there three of the gnomes are living by this brook and they start talking about the fourth of their brothers or whatever who left the year before to go find the source of the brook. Oh. And he's been gone for all, all when he didn't, he never came back. Mm. And so they've been living by this brook in this hollow tree for hundreds of years. And it, they talk, talk a little bit about how things are changing. They finally decide to go and see if they can find Cloudberry, who is the the gnome who 
went off wandering and and also to find the source of the brook because that's where he was supposedly went. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a very long journey for gnomes. Okay? <laughs> They're very small. And, yes. you know, yeah. <laughs> so the story is all about their adventures and there's danger and predators and there's a gamekeeper and his pet peacock who is who are the worst enemies and oh. but they meet friends along the way also. I just loved the whole setting and the story of how the these gnomes make their way up the brook and how they manage to avoid all the dangers and things like that. Oh, by the way, the gnomes are called Daughter, Bald Money, and Sneezewort. So wow, those are some those are some good. Good names, yeah. You can you can save those up for your children or whatever, <laughs> or, your, <laughs> or for your next pet that you don't love that much. Yeah, bald money. Uh, you know, if you have a bald pet. Um, <laughs> oh, anyway, love the book, and it won a Carnegie Medal in 1942. Mm. So it's not an unknown book or author. In England, maybe sure, sure. Although it was a long time ago, and some of even some of those award-winning authors have been forgotten, mm-hmm. but certainly not well known or known very much at all in in the United States. It's a little bit like G.K. Chesterton was world famous everywhere until his death, and then because of World War II, he was lost. And everybody forgot about him until like the 80s or 90s. And it was the Americans who rediscovered Chesterton. Like the English are just now coming back to the party that, oh, yeah, Chesterton's a good guy. (laughs) In the front of all of his books, Mr. Pitchford, Watkins Pitchford wrote, um, I don't know, 50 or 60 books. Mm. But not very many of them are even in print or well known at all now. Mm. But in the front of all of his books, he had this inscription or dedication, which was something his father found on a tombstone in an English country churchyard. And it's, it's very short. It's like a poem, but it's in the front of each one of his books. And it says the wonder of the world, the beauty and the power, the shapes of things, their colors, lights, and shades. These I saw look ye also while life lasts. Oh, I thought that was so beautiful. And isn't yeah. that what we're trying to teach yes. ourselves and our yes. children? Exactly. To look yeah. and, and see, see the things mm-hmm. while life lasts. And that's oh. what the gnomes do when, on their journey. They see oh. so many wonderful things. Oh, that's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I had been doing a little looking into the book that Sherry was recommending and it has been reprinted by New York Children's Review Books. So there is a uh-huh. copy readily available for people. But I think I was reading the Kirkus Review, and they said something to the effect, this is very reminiscent or in the style of Wind in the Willows. That's what I was just going to ask. Yeah. yeah. So if you were really loving Wind in the Willows and you wanted to do something in that style Thing. or in that feel, this yeah. might be a really great option. And then Sherry and I were collaborating together because she had just reread it on some content considerations to add to BiblioGuides. And of course, like she said, there's dangers and things happen. So the content considerations are just to show you kind of what those things are. Sure. But she sent me pictures 
And she had a UK edition and I had an American edition. And Mm -hmm. the book was published in the UK in 1942 and by Charles Scribner's in the US in 1946, I believe. US publishers did choose to take some stuff out, such as they like to drink wine. So there was a lot of wine drinking. And I I was searching my book and I said, there's no wine in this book. Oh. What are you talking about, Sherry? <laughs> and, she's, and then she's sending me pages and there's like all these different types of wine out of their cellar that they were going to take on their trip or something. And then there was a couple of other things. And we it was so interesting. And I don't know that we would have known that had we not researched it, researched it. And we both had a different edition. So yeah. you should just look, you know, when you're looking at a reprint, it has been reprinted numerous times. You know, are you, mm-hmm. are you getting a, a reprint of a UK edition or a reprint of a US edition? They're the same. It's just, you know, it's just those differences between yeah. British people and Americans. We just sometimes <laughs> prioritize different things, I guess. It was just interesting. It's a little bit like when people were collecting Harry Potter, which edition did you go for, the UK or the American, because of the spelling and certain word choices that were different. Mm-hmm. And it's just so funny yeah. how that is. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry, as I was listening, I was thinking, this really feels like Tolkien and mm-hmm. the Wind in the Willows kind of stirred together into a cute little fairy tale. And, and by Tolkien, I do, of course, mean The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, but maybe more of his children's books, you know, like Roverandum or, you know, mm-hmm. The Father Christmas Letters, you know, just sort of the the sweet old world naturalist type stories um, that are a little mm-hmm. little natural and a little fairy tale rolled together. Yeah, I think he was definitely familiar with with Tolkien and Wind in the Willows because Kenneth Graham, because you can see the influences. It's also something totally different. He was an artist and a naturalist, Mm. and he taught like uh, taught in British schools and things like that. So you can see all that influence in there too. So a little Beatrix Potter in there as well. Yeah, (laughs) lovely. So that brings us to you, my friend, Tanya. What is your forgotten book? So I wanted to share a book called Mistress Malapert. It was written by Sally Watson and published in 1955. Sally Watson was born in 1924, and she actually passed away this year in 2022. And in the early 2000s, maybe late 1990s, things conspired that she was able to have her books brought back into print by Image Cascade Publishing. So I think they currently have around seven of her books. Wow! I've read one of those called Lynette and I loved it, but I wanted to specifically talk about Mistress Malapert. And I'd Mm. never heard of this author before until my friend, Lara Yeverino, who's a member of the BiblioGuides team, told me that she had read and reread and reread every single of Sally Watson's books when she was a kid. Wow. And I thought, wow, I've never even heard of her. I'm fascinated by it. And all of the books have a female protagonist and they're usually Uh feisty and spirited. (laughs) And what's even more fascinating is that they are all related through a family tree. So they Mm -hmm. are the ancestors of each other and they span hundreds of years. And someone, a couple people, Image Cascade and maybe another company put together a family tree chart So you can see where all the characters are and how they fit into that family tree. I think we're going to put one together on BiblioGuides as well. I did that for Nate Wilson's books. I wanted to know how they all fit. Because once you read the door before, you went, wait, what? (laughs) And so then I had to have that just for my own sake. And I always hand it out at my book clubs. Yeah. I mean, we would like one. So the girls, I think these are primarily really girl books. So Mm -hmm. the girls could print it out and kind of see all these connections. So 
just to get a sense of who Sally is for a minute, I wanted to share something that she wrote. We're incredibly blessed because she wrote a memoir and Mm. it's called Dances to a Different Piper, a memoir. And so this gives you a sense of what was important to her when she was reading as a child and maybe what guided her for the types of books she chose to write as an adult. So she said, kids' books then were well-written, solid stories that didn't insult your intelligence by dumbing down. In 1937, Lost Queen of Egypt was published with an Mm. intelligent, adventurous princess protagonist for me to identify with. It was the kind of history I liked instead of impersonal school books. I had a firm notion of the shape of a story rising to a climax like climbing a hill and then denouement, problems and pain, but nothing too ugly or too great to bear and a happy ending. I often Mm -hmm. thought it a shame that quote unquote realism is defined solely as the ugly side of life. Beauty and hope and joy are real too. And I always felt that I could perfectly acknowledge the ugly, sceny, horrid side of life without wallowing in it. I adored the perilous seat and smuggler's island and very much liked understood Betsy. And I liked mm. Downright Densey and Caddy Woodlawn. So when I read... She had great days. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I, I haven't heard of Smuggler's Island, so I'm going to look that up. We'll probably put it on BiblioGuides. But when I saw that she had read The Lost Queen of Egypt, and you know, that's one that Purple House Press has reprinted, and I was fascinated. Gorgeous. I haven't read that one. I don't know if any of you ladies have. It's Have you read it? Partway through. It's very compelling. So this particular story is a set in 1599 in England during the time of Shakespeare. And she's 13, 14 years old, and she's very spirited, and she's always gotten her way, and she's a little spoiled. And mm. she runs away from home, dresses up as a boy, joins a player's theater, and, <laughs> and you know, lots of things ensue. So she's doing a lot of things that you wouldn't want your teenager to do. But... What I loved about it is that the whole story is a coming-of-age story about her finding a way to control that power that's within her. Granny smiled. You are, she said, in your inside self. The only reason you behave badly is when you let your outside self be untrue to thine inside self. That's told on page 34 really early in the book. And so the story is her journey of self-mastery. And it's... It's funny and it's poignant and it's delightful. And she ends up playing in all of these Shakespeare plays. So if you had a girl and you were reading like a 12 to 16 year old and you were maybe doing Romeo and Juliet or there's a lot of quotes to Taming of the Shrew if that was one you wanted to do, (laughs) it would, I think this would just bring it even more to life for a girl to read. So I, I loved it. I just finished it this morning and I delighted in it and Mm -hmm. really highly recommend any of her books. That sounds Beautiful. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Library ladies, thank you so much for your recommendations because I didn't have a big enough stack already. <laughs> and I did. I was hoping that there would be some of these that didn't sound quite so interesting, but but they really all do. And now I'm going to have to go find them. <laughs> so thank you for that. Diane, I think it's funny because in the chat where we were all working on planning this episode, they all traded titles in advance and they all went out and bought each other's books as well. So everybody else felt that they were all compelling recommendations. Right. So I hope they left some for us. (laughs) Oh, they did. Yes. (laughs) So what we didn't have time for today was the library lady's treasure books. And I really like the sound of that. And they're forgotten books that Mm -hmm. didn't quite fit the criteria of being easily accessible and inexpensive. 
But one of the things that the library ladies and Sarah and Tanya often talk about is that when they were building their libraries, going to book sales, they often took lists that they got from whoever they got them from, from good books about books, so that they would know Mm -hmm. what they were looking for as they were learning what are the good books. And so we're going to put their treasure books in the show notes so that you can have these in front of you because these books are not going to be inexpensive. They might be hard to find. The library ladies are not suggesting that you go out and spend your grocery money on them. The idea Mm -hmm. is that when you go to a used bookstore, a book sale, a library sale, and you see one of these, you say, oh, that's one that I should grab because here it is Mm -hmm. getting ready to go a dollar in my bag. And uh, Mm -hmm. I just got a treasure. And I know that because some book experts told me so. (laughs) Exactly. I love the treasure hunting list. And ladies, we're so grateful that you have provided that as well. So friends, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to get the details of these books, go to our website, and find the show notes for this episode. There should be a link inside your podcast app. Otherwise, just head to our website. It should be pretty easy to find there. And in the show notes, what you will find is every one of the books, and each of those books will be linked to the BiblioGuides database where you can find that book record. If you have a BiblioGuides membership, you'll get to see all the amazing things that are related to that book, you know, a preview of the inside pages. Um, You'll be able to see different ways in which it's been reprinted and content considerations and a lot of other things. Plus, you can add it to your own treasure list. But also, if you're not a member of BiblioGuides, these are still publicly viewable uh, book records. So you'll still be able to find that book and get a little more information about it. And then also in the show notes will be the list of treasure hunting books. Make sure that you go and check that. Also wanted to let you know that, again, this is the first episode of a series. Today was a little bit much. We invited most of our library ladies here, and they all gave you a very short little synopsis. In the future, though, we're going to just have a couple on at a time, and we'll all be rotating through to go over a whole bunch of other topics so that we can have sort of a more enjoyable cup of tea together, talking about two or three really fantastic books. But there will always be recommendations from some of the other library ladies, even if they're not in that episode. So we'll have a special place on our website where you can just click on this series and follow along every month. Jeanette, Kathy, Sherry, Mary, and Tanya, we are profoundly grateful for your time today. This is the kind of stuff that Diane and I love so much. And I loved the variety of books that are recommended. Boy books, Mm -hmm. girl books, early readers, chapter books, science books and fairies, and everything in between. (laughs) (laughs) There is something for everybody here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for being a part of this exciting journey. And we look forward to having you back with more book clubs coming soon.